this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Dave Balter, the CEO of Flipside Crypto. We're going to talk a lot about what Flipside does. Effectively, it is a way for projects to grow their business by monitoring project health, tracking customer behaviors, and providing insights into how activities impact stakeholders and price. So this has been a really big topic of conversation. How do you actually assess if a project, if it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, any of ones out there, how do you assess their health? And so Flipside actually came up with a rating uh, how to do that, and they take a lot of data. And I find this incredibly interesting and important because it is not sentiment driven. It is not white paper driven. It is not blog driven. It is not Twitter driven. It is data driven. It is what are the customers? What does the developer community look like? And that is some of the things that they use to monitor the health of these projects. And we also talk a lot about behavioral models as it relates to something called chain walkers. And we'll talk all about that and you'll learn all about that. Dave is a very successful uh, seven-time multi-founder, um, and so I love the fact that he has seen a lot. He's been an investor as well, too, in the space, doing a lot of angel investments. Uh, he had a lunch with Matt Walsh from Castle Island and Hadley Stern, both ex-Fidelity folks, and got him into the space, You know, got him excited about it, and he saw that there was a real need for data and analysis to understand what was happening with these different projects and these different assets. So for institutional investors, this is great. Uh, I think this has been something that has been missing uh, with a lot of your analysis out there. So remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, pardon the pun, you're going to hear a great conversation with Dave Balter, the CEO of Flipside Crypto. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Dave Balter, the CEO of Flipside Crypto, with me today. Dave, how are you? I'm excellent. Nice to uh, meet you, David. It is my pleasure. Uh, Flipside is a project and a company that I've been watching for the last about a year or so. Um, and so there is this whole idea of trying to really understand the uses and the developer community and more the analytics behind what's being built in the blockchain world. And so I find it very deeply interesting what you guys have developed there. But before we go too far into what Flipside is, Dave, if you could, as everyone knows who listens to the show, I'd like to go a little bit into your personal background, kind of how you came into this world, not necessarily your when Bitcoin moment, but what exactly about blockchains and digital assets and distributed and decentralized systems really kind of enticed you into this world? Um, but give us a little background about yourself. I know you spent some time in as a multi-time founder uh, and also as an investor. So if you can give us a little background before we go into Flipside, that would be great. Sure. Um, so yeah, as as you said, I'm a I am a multi-time time founder. I, I uh, um, this is actually company number seven for me. So I've uh, I've 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 drank the Kool-Aid. I, I, I can't find my way out. Um, <laughs> it's a form of insanity, I suppose. Um, I've had a, a, all different industries, um, uh, social marketing. I ran a company called Buzz Agent for 10 years. We, we sold to Tesco in 2010 and ran a, a machine learning skill assessments business um, that we uh, was acquired in 2014 by Pluralsight. Um, you know, everything 
everything I really have done is focused on on two things. It's it's really the the data is the foundation for um, things that really interest me, um, and then and then part of it is really psychology. What what are um, what are the things that people need to digest or uh, become empowered by uh, that will that will change behaviors and um, all, all my businesses sort of focus there. Um, I did spend a few years uh, on the investing side. I, um, I, I was a partner in a VC fund for a number of years. Uh, I do a bunch of angel investing, so I, I do I do tend to play both sides, um, which is fine. Um, the moment in crypto, it's it for for me, it's it, it's interesting and maybe telling. Um, I was actually running a startup. In the in the death industry of all industries, so that mm. as in the as in the deceased, um, which is which is a wild industry for all sorts of reasons, um, and uh, you know, like many, we're I, I'd sort of known of of crypto and had paid attention to it um, just in, in passing. I'd sort of bought a Bitcoin or two over the years, but never really got deep. Um, but while running this other company. Um, two friends of mine, or, or acquaintances at the time, now friends, um, Hadley Stern and Matt Walsh, um, both at Fidelity, uh, took me to lunch. And, and I, I don't know what happened over the lunch, but there was this moment, this like aha moment, where uh, my co-founder and I came back to the office and we're like, hmm, you know, that industry sounds a whole lot more interesting than the death industry. And, uh, you know, I'll save most of the story, but we started trading, we started building models and our venture capitalist partners said, you know, we came to them eventually and said, look, we've got these two businesses now. And they said, you guys choose, where do you want to play? And, um, and, and crypto, crypto was it. So, um, it was, it was a, it was sort of a dive in with both feet. Um, but I, but I, I often tell Hadley and Matt that I blame them for, um, helping them kill our, our death business. <laughs> there are no free lunches in this world, are there? <laughs> no, no. Anyway. So I find it really enlightening, and I think this has been a narrative on our show, is that you were a seven-time founder. This is something, this is not where you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed out of college, where you have picked up some libertarian type of viewpoints. You have built companies before you have sold companies before you have been a highly successful entrepreneur and this is a place where you see a future i imagine and so i think that's just completely utterly interesting um so let's get into flip side so flip side enables crypto projects to grow their businesses by monitoring project health and we're going to talk a lot about that what that means tracking customer behaviors and providing insight into how activities impact stakeholders and price. So what does all of that mean? How can you do that in this day and age? Um, we're going to talk a lot about, you know, the, the scores and the ratings and the trackers that you guys have something called chain walkers. There's lots of different, you know, parts of this, but just talk to us about this monitoring project health. What does that mean? Yeah. So this this is the thing when we when I got into the industry the thing that was most startling to me um, if you if you're in in almost any other space um, you have a way to measure what your customers are doing in depth uh, in real time so if you were a if you're a web based business um, you have Google Analytics or Mixpanel uh, if you're a mobile app company uh, you might have App Annie. You have the Apple Store to give you tracking, et cetera. 
Uh, yet in in the crypto industry, uh, many projects have no idea what their customers are doing. So they they might know their price. They might know that there's you know whether they've been added to an exchange or not. Um, but the idea of like, well, do you have users of your token and how are they behaving? What are they doing with it? Um, is is completely opaque, or when we entered the space was completely opaque. So what we did for a variety of reasons, partly so that we could invest effectively, because we believe tracking customers is a good way to track investable assets. But what we did is we we applied behavioral models to blockchain addresses to identify and distinguish between um, behavior types. So what does a miner do? And you can see in behaviors of address movement how miners are are behaving, or what does a customer do? What does a speculator do? And so what we're able to do now is we apply our data models into blockchains, uh, which allows us to separate out all these types, types of different customer behaviors so we can analyze um, what are actual customers doing versus speculators versus miners versus voters versus um, anyone else in the ecosystem. I like to create analogies to the more traditional kind of equity markets that a lot of family offices and other institutional investors are more familiar with. And so I remember back in the day using a Bloomberg terminal. And if you would look up Apple, you know, Apple stock, and you could see their earnings, you could see their dividends, you can see, you know, their acquisitions, but then you can also see their institutional holders. And in that kind of framework, you can see if they were hedge funds, if they were endowments or pensions, you can track to see who's, you know, on the inside, if the the CEO or some of the upper management are buying or selling shares. And you can kind of come up with a framework very similar, in a sense, of the different types of user, you know, air quotes, uh, and what they're doing with their, you know, their position, their asset. And so I find that incredibly interesting. And I agree with you that the fact that that didn't exist up until you guys, I, I think now that it exists, you know, provides more transparency and a, a tool for institutional investors to really understand this world better. So let's dig into this. Um, monitor your project's fundamental crypto asset score to understand how developers behave, users, user activities, and market dynamics impacting the health of the ecosystem. So how did you develop, when you guys called the FICAS or FCAS rating, how did you de develop this rating system? Yeah. So, um, so this is sort of a, a work backwards proposition. We, when we, after this lunch with Matt and Hadley, um, we wanted to invest uh, in the space. And, and our philosophy has always been sort of fundamentally oriented. We, you know, we, we were seeing all the noise and all the momentum trading and, you know, my telegram community is bigger. And so our price is up and we just, we just couldn't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. So we, we started tracking the things that we felt were investable. So two of the core uh, foundations of that are product development and customer activity. Okay. So on the product development side, we began ingesting repositories for the crypto assets. Um, we now ingest about 18,000 of those repos every day, actually. And we started tracking about 30 data points across them and, and understanding sort of how they in, interacted to create a healthy delivery of products. So that was one thing we started measuring. And then the second was this customer behavior. And that was understanding these, these stakeholder types. And what we were looking for there was, is, is this crypto project 
gaining customers? Are they retaining them? Are they churning? So we started measuring that. And then we, we felt in the sort of realm of market dynamics, we felt it would be good to know, like, are these assets sort of financially stable in a way? Like, could you, could you invest in them using traditional models and know how volatile they'd be, sort of traditional liquidity, things like that? So we built some models to that. Because we were doing this, we started investing using this data, but we, we, we wanted the market to have this. And so we basically took all that data and we packaged it up. We, we did a variety of modeling. We packaged it up and we turned it into a single, single rating, FCAS, the Fundamental Crypto Asset Score, that we felt if we put it into the market would help traditional investors, um, institutions, et cetera, actually have another way to measure these assets. Like it wasn't just we care for our own investing, but we felt the market should have. So we created it as a, as like a, this would be useful to people. And once we started releasing it, um, we started realizing that, that it, it could be, it could draw a signal. It could be, um, it had a strong sort of power in being able to identify assets that maybe weren't easy to see on the outside had, had health or value. But once you understood um, the elements of FCAS, you could see another way of looking at an asset that might be investable um, that otherwise wouldn't be. Right. And so one of the parts that I want to dig a little bit deeper into is this idea of market dynamics that are impacting the health of the ecosystem. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Is that, for instance, potentially global macro issues affecting the protocol or the project? You know, for instance, DeFi projects that might be used in Argentina where there is excessive hyperinflation. Are there certain things that are extrapolated from outside of the crypto ecosystem that are being applied to the rating system? So, um, so it's actually, this is, this is a little, it's, it's less sort of fully external factors and more um, cross-chain uh, market dynamics. So what I mean by that is <clears throat> for us to get to user activity and customer behavior, we perform this service called chain walking. Um, and what it basically does allows us to put our behavioral models to any, into any chain. It creates a ground truth and then the, the sort of the models go to work and creates the, these views. Um, we've done that now for about 35 different chains. And because of that, we're able to see sort of patterns and trends, um, normal behaviors, abnormal behaviors across chains. Okay, So if you're, if you're looking at a specific asset, maybe in Ethereum, um, and you're, you're able to, for example, let's make it, let's make an easy one. You across 35 chains, here's how behaviors are typical for um, trading patterns, or are behavioral are typical for how miners are um, either keeping or liquidating their rewards. Okay, so you might now be able to look at this specific asset and say, "Geez, market dynamics across all these other chains are totally different." And we actually can see a pattern that when they're different, here's how the price might move and evolve. So you might then decide whether or not this specific asset you're looking at, you should you should evaluate against the norm or against how it's behaving. Right. Um, yeah. So it's a broad view of, of the overall crypto market. So I would love to dig in there a little bit more in terms of the behaviors and the patterns. As we all know, Bitcoin has been in existence for about 10 years now, a little more than 10 years. Ethereum has been roughly around for five years in terms of kind of trading air quotes. Um, 
you know, it's fair to say that Bitcoin has not been trading, you know, as it is today for those 10 years. Ethereum has not been trading for the last five years as it is today. There is more of a robust infrastructure around it. Uh, you have more derivatives markets now. You have many more exotic ways to participate in this market. And so it has changed, you know, dramatically over the last, you know, five to seven years. And so when you're thinking about behavioral patterns, I'm curious, you know, how much data is there to really extrapolate behavioral patterns? Is there, do you look at six month behavior patterns, a year, two years? What is the, the time frame that you need to really develop a behavioral pattern in this industry? Yeah. So, um, well, the industry, you know, um, as you sort of noted, it's, um, I think we're still so early in understanding which patterns indicate what. I think you probably could, could be more, um, you know, more prescriptive with things like Bitcoin than some of the newer cryptocurrencies. But let, let's use an example. Um, let's use Bitcoin. Um, so we track about two and a half years of Bitcoin trading patterns. And, and what we care about here um, as we look at sort of um, customer behavior is sort of which addresses are sort of active or inattractive, or I'm sorry, or inactive. So um, since the beginning of 2017, um, you know, the, the sort of active supply uh, sort of low was, was in 2019. So since 2017, the low, seven-day low, was only 7, 7% of Bitcoin supply was active. Okay, that corresponded to three and a half percent of all wallets. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what what this means is, let's just play this out: more people are sitting on more BTC than usual. Okay, so the concentration of wealth hasn't changed. Top thousand addresses still control thirty four percent of the BTC supply, which means the top holders still have considerable potential to impact the market. Um, now, whether whether and when they do is up to them, and it's difficult to predict, but. What you're able to see by tracking the customer behaviors across all these wallets, when they're sitting, when they're activating, is, is there a pattern of, of stronger trading? Is there a pattern of less trading? Right now, right now, I'd say you're seeing sort of less trading happening, but because the top thousand addresses are still controlling you know, nearly 35% of the BTC, um, there's a lot of movement still to come. Interesting. It's I, I again. I find that your ability to kind of pull that data and do that analysis is fascinating for those that are trying to understand how this market is moving. Many consider it completely irrational, but in your stance and looking at the data, there are behavioral patterns and there are rationalities behind it. So I think that's just fascinating. I think that's a really big counter uh, to some of those folks out there who who are not still understanding that there are mechanisms behind this. So I want to talk a little bit more about the tracker. So you guys developed a tracker providing institutional and sophisticated retail investors a top-down approach to tracking 500 plus crypto project fundamentals. Um, since we're discussing behavioral patterns and developer behavior, um, I want to discuss user activity. So it's an engagement metric you, you developed, I believe. And then there's market maturity. Is that the amount of days in the market? Some, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the, the criteria here, the KPIs, if you will. Um, you know, what are some of the things that went into, you, you alluded to it already, but what are some of the things that went into this specific tracker for institutional investors that uh, they can extrapolate information from? Sure. 
Okay, so um, to, well, first before this, I will say the FCAS tracker is a is a tool that allows investors to understand the movements of FCAS and all of its subcomponents over time. Okay, and there's, there's historicals. You can do trend mapping, um, and I will note that that actually the folks at Arca, uh, Jeff and Hassan, um, were actually part of an early development process with us. We, we as we were bringing FCAS to market. They actually tested the tracker, I think, before any other fund. So, mm-hmm. um, huge nod to, to Arca for that. But anyway, to Arca guys, thanks yeah, Jeff and yeah. thanks guys. Yeah. So um, anyway, so the, the tracker you can find it's free. It's it's on our website, flipsidecrypto.com. Click investors. You can you can download it for free, and you can get access to the all the all this tracking. Um, what's in it is is and what we're talking about here, user activity, is one of the subcomponents. And what that's intended to tell um, an investor is, uh, going back to sort of the fundamentals, is um, is this organization, this crypto project's user activity um, healthy or unhealthy? Okay, so everything in FCAS rating is based on an 1,000-point scale. Every uh, rating um, is comparative to other assets. Okay, so... Um, if let's as an example, if something is rated a 900, it's a very healthy meaning it has lots of user activity. They're retaining users, they're growing users. If there are 300, um, they're probably not doing very well as it relates to actual customers using their product. Okay. So on a on a quick read, you could probably is it healthy or not? But what's most important is how is that changing every day, every 30 days, every six months. Is this, is this a healthier asset? Is it growing uh, by its users or is it not over time? That's the thing to pay attention to. And without drawing too much of an extension of this, how many are, you know, would you say, so there's, you said there's about 500 that you're tracking, give or take. How many, you know, just off of the data, off of what you've been able to do, would you are in that kind of like 900 range? Um, for user activity, very few. So, um Probably, and I, I'd have to look at the data, but maybe twenty, maybe thirty. Got um, it. At yeah, it, it it is still a very early industry by way of some of the customer behaviors. Um, now, men, some are are off the charts. You know, um, a Ripple um, XRP is an example, and I I know people have strong opinions, but like we care about customers. It's hard to argue they they actually have people using their their system. Um, they're right up there. Um, you know, so so there are, you know, this is one of those sort of like, hey, if you look at things from a, you know, maybe a traditional point of view, you know, you might have beliefs about certain currencies or, you know, who, who's, you know, is Tron good or not good? Well, we, we, we don't really care how they developed what they developed. We just care whether they have users. I, um, I think that is such an important, again, please say that again. You just care about the data. It is not, you know, we in this world get so stuck on the, you know, kind of just the immaterial, you know, kind of hogwash, if you will. Um, and I'm being polite here because I'm trying to make sure that this is not an explicit episode on Apple Podcasts, but it's just about the data. And that's what I love about your company is that it's the data. I don't care about sentiment per se. I don't care about ideologies. And I don't think institutional investors care about ideologies and about what the the proponents and the, the pontificators of these different protocols and projects 
are you know spewing on you know Twitter and other social media. Institutional investors just care about the data, and I think that's what you're doing. That's right. That's right. And I, and you know we we will have you know many projects call us. They see their rating. Our ratings are published on you know Coin Market Cap and Masari and the Street Market Watch. All these all these you know all these places. So they'll call us. They'll see their rating and they'll they'll say, Hey, I'm a I'm a 500. Let's say. Um, how do how do I how do you know? You guys should know more. Uh, in order to make sure it's as accurate as possible. Okay, so we'd say, great. Well, if you have more data to give us, and then they say, well, hey, can we can we send you our white paper? Can we can we um, can we tell you who's on our team? And and we have to say to them, like, you can, but it won't impact your rating at all because those are those are inputs, um, but they're not they're they're not a quantitative approach to understanding whether you're a healthy business or not. Yeah. Amen on that. Um, and so, you know, I think, again, this is just a, a highly fascinating business. And this is one where, you know, for the traditional investor, I could see them wanting to use this. And, you know, I can hope, you know, we'll go at the end of the show, we'll give people a place where they can find out more, where they can start playing with this a little bit more. What I also like to do is before we get into some more of the kind of getting to know you questions, is there anything on the roadmap for 2020 as we're ending the year? Is there anything for 2020 going into uh, the next year that you guys are looking at in terms of development or milestones? Anything in terms of analytic or data or places where your you know systems and your trackers will be available to more people? Yeah. So I, I suppose I'll call out two things. So so this concept of chain walking um, is what allows us to see and distinguish these customer behaviors. Um, we are likely in 2020, early 2020, you'll see actually some of that chain walking data being available in market. Um, you will, right now, when you look at FCAS, it's, a, it's ingesting the chain walking data and it's providing in a simplified view, a, a, a sort of, uh, you know, a, one, a zero to a thousand number and a rating, a grade. Um, but we're actually going to start giving people the market a bit more detail on uh, actually being able to track, say, um, customer behaviors every day or every week um, directly. So you'll start seeing that in 2020. Um, the other thing you'll start to see from us and, and a big sort of, um, I think, important for the industry is 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 more benchmarking across chains. Um, so now that we have sort of, you know, these 35 and growing chains um, chain walked, we actually have this behavioral pattern of What's normal? What isn't? And what is a good benchmark to understand? Um, you know, so um, you know, you might look at a chain like Aon or Horizon and say, "Geez, I I don't know. You know, are those quality chains? Are they not? Oh, wait. If I could compare them to a normalized pattern across thirty-five other chains, I can tell. Oh, wow, they're actually really healthy. That's super interesting. And so, you know, rather than rather than just sort of looking at you know, do they have customers or not, which is important. It's do they have customers or not? And how does that compare to everybody else who is trying to obtain customers in this ecosystem? Um, so you see a lot more of that cross-chain analytics coming out from us. On top of that, will there, you know, uh, will there be more taxonomy? I think this has also been an area that people have struggled with. You mentioned benchmarking, you know, how do I know if this particular protocol is doing well as opposed to its relative peers? Is there any way uh, that you guys are breaking it down between proof of stake 
or you know, say a DAG or any other type of protocols or any kind of other kind of segmentations so people can kind of further break it down? So we, we, that we do have that internally. Um, we actually have um, some tools we license to chains that um, help them break down their own constituents. So we can, we can tell a chain by DAP behavior, for example, by DAPs, which, which types of products are operating on their system. Um, yeah, we can, we can tell, um, you know, all, all sorts of different taxonomy. We haven't, we've, we've really struggled with whether or not we release it to the market. Um, uh, part of it is we think it's, it's, it's pretty valuable stuff and we're not sure how we package it. Part of it is we, we think it's, you know, we're still in early days of defining a taxonomy that, that the market could, you know, um, stand by for the long term. We think the market's still evolving. So, um, you probably won't see that from us in, in 2020, um, behind the scenes. If you're a client, you probably will get some of it, but you won't see it publicly in 2020. Well, I know that's something I would pay for. So hopefully you guys can think about it going to 2020. Um, okay. So as I mentioned, we also like to go a little bit deeper into you. Um, and there are two inputs. We talked a lot about inputs and outputs. There are two inputs that you know we typically try to put into our brains on a daily or weekly basis. That's reading. Um, and as we have said many times on the show before, that people within the crypto ecosystem are very well read. It is a multidisciplinary area. Um, and so everything from computer science to psychology, mental models, etc. And so any books that you've read recently that resonated with you that you told your friends and family about immediately, um, and that you might have learned something from and then any music that you listen to. And I actually think that this tells a lot about a person's personality. If they are working, they like classical music, or if they like grunge or electronica. Uh, I just find that it's a really interesting uh, tell about a person's personality. So any books that you've read recently or any music that you've listened to? Sure. So on the, on the book front, um, I actually, I actually gave myself a challenge at the beginning of the year to read 50 books this year. So I'm, I'm close. I'm at 46. So I'm, wow. I should make it. I should make it. I'm, I'm close. My favorite book of the year is actually a 50 page book uh, by George Saunders, who I think is, is, the best writer in in the world right now. Uh, it's called Fox Eight, um, and it's written from the point of view of a fox. Uh, it, it is incredibly, it is in, it is incredibly uh, hard to believe that what can be done in fifty pages. Um, I, also, I really liked um, That Will Never Work, which was the story behind Netflix. Um, I'm a big fan of the sort of psychedelic movement. So How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, I thought was great. Uh, and if you're into fiction, um, Exhalation by Ted Chang was, is sort of top of my list. So um, those, those were all really good reads. Um, from music, uh, you know, I'm pretty sort of broad in my music tastes. Um, uh, Electric Guest is one of my favorites. Uh, they, 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 please go find them if you don't know them. They're amazing. Um, I saw Wilco this this tour. I thought they were great. I'm going to see a band called Ween on Friday. Um, oh, you don't know. Wow. Yep. Yeah, love Ween. Um, uh, my favorite my favorite show I saw this summer was was Cage the Elephant. It was actually Beck and Cage the Elephant, um, but Cage the Elephant went on before Beck and and almost made Beck irrelevant. I love, love Beck. I mean, I'm like a Beck and like Elephant. If you haven't seen them, they they will change your world. So um, well worth checking them out. 
That's so funny you brought that up. I remember years back, um, we went to go see Aerosmith and yeah. ZZ Top opened for them. And ZZ Top blew them away so badly that we were almost like, why are we even here to listen to Aerosmith? <laughs> and I know I'm talking to a Boston guy. I know I'm talking to a Massachusetts guy. So I know that kind of hurts, but. <laughs> um, I get it. I get it. You know what? Never. This is actually, it's a good point. We saw Electric Guest because um, they opened for uh, Portugal, the man. And, and, and like you said, ZZ Top for Aerosmith, KGL from Forbeck. I've learned never miss the opening act. Like it's always like, oh, I'm here for them, but it's often the opening act. The the up and comer who got on that bill who will blow your mind. So go go see them. That's right. So Dave, uh, where can people learn more about Flipside Crypto? Where can they get engaged with it? Uh, where could they you know start using it? Yep, uh, easiest spot: FlipsideCrypto.com. All the stuff is there. Um, if you want to track FCAS for assets. Um, coin market cap uh, on every asset page. There's a rating tab, um, and you can. Um, or there's 520 assets we rate on there. You can see our ratings. Um, the street publishes actually a deep dive into our ratings once a week. Um, so that's a good place to to go find that. And if you want a, a sort of update on our ratings daily, we have a daily mover. You can sign up for that on our site. Uh, and that gives you sort of one one asset a day and what's happening with it. Um, those are those are pretty fun to go deeper on FCAS and their sub components. Amazing. So this was Dave Balter, the CEO of Flipside Crypto. Again, this show was meant to start to create a conversation around key infrastructure within digital assets and blockchains. And I can't think of any better right now than a deep data-driven analytic that provides that for institutional investors alike. And so, Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hopefully, we can have you back on in a few months to catch up on all the 2020 milestones. And uh, we'll be catching you soon. Thanks a lot. Great. Thanks, David. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.